What's up, everybody? Welcome to Music Appreciation 101. I am joined by very special guest, Steve Brickman. Steve, what's up, man? Thank you for coming on. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you about music because you take the multi-instrumentalist thing to a totally new level. Like some people, they like dabble, they do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, rarely do you see somebody that's not just a jack of all trades, but is like a master of many. And that's what I consider you to be just watching your videos, watching what you're playing. Incredible saxophonist, keyboardist, pianist, guitarist, composer, vocalist, like in awe of you, man. Really, really excited to chat. Thanks, man. Appreciate all those kind words. I'm just trying. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) Same, man. Same. That's all we can do. But if you try hard enough for long enough, you end up getting decent at these things. That's true. (laughs) You're not wrong about that. <laughs> so I was reading your bio, but just to fill everybody in a little bit on kind of your journey, um, how, how you uh, came up, I was seeing you st- kind of started with with piano and then went over to saxophone. Is that kind of how the progression went? Yeah. So I, uh, my mom's a piano teacher. Oh, cool. Um, so there's always just kind of, kind of been music in our house. And then I started on classical piano in second grade. I took one lesson with my mom and then I said, I think I need a a real deal and she's a real teacher but like you know more focused teacher so then i ended up taking um lessons with this very strict but amazing russian woman so like you know she had the accent and she's you know i'd be like play thing and my mom thought it sounded good and she would ask me what what did you think and i said pretty good she's like i did not like it we must do it again (laughs) but it was great because it gave me like a great foundation of technique for playing and just kind of um practice regiment and nice. a little bit of structure so yeah so piano in second grade uh played violin for a year in third grade oh, and nice. then uh dropped it and picked up clarinet and saxophone in fourth grade <clears throat> and that's cool. kind of where it all started were you drawn to saxophone like as a kid was there something about it that that took you over to that instrument i was it's funny i think there's a picture of me when i'm like four mm-hmm. with a little toy saxophone and i just took it everywhere so Sweet. i think i just always wanted to play that instrument for something. That's great. It's like yeah. a magnet. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, talking about practice regimen, I think that's a really interesting uh, thing to talk about for multi-instrumentalists because that that's like one of the things you can bring from instrument to instrument. How, how did you like structure that and how has that evolved kind of over the years, the way that you approach just practice? Definitely. So for me, in terms of my instruments, I feel like saxophone and piano are 50-50 because I started them around the same time and always kind of kept them up like... Mm-hmm. In high school, I'd be still taking classical piano lessons and then started to take jazz lessons. But at the same time, I was playing um, a lot of jazz saxophone in ensembles. And, um, you know, I would go to NEC on Saturdays. They had like a little uh, college prep program for high school students. So I was kind of dipping my toes in there. Um, So pretty much they've been 50-50. And then along the way, I picked up other instruments like flute and clarinet. I really focused on in college because we had to for the school. and then. guitar i picked up later in life because i sold an organ and then they wanted to sell me a 70s strat so i was like all right let me try guitar because i've always wanted to play and then bass is kind of an extension of that Mm -hmm. but in terms of practicing um i feel like it was very important starting out to have a good foundation um you know learn the technique of the instrument really practice uh 
the fundamentals of it, whatever it is, whether it's piano or sax. So for pianos, you know, really helpful. Um, I had to uh, practice scales, um, mm -hmm. two octaves, both hands every day, every morning. Um, you know, there'd be a couple major minor, diminished, um, dominant, major seven, or yeah, it was just major scales, but all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and really learning the correct fingering. Nice. Um, that's super helpful if you're starting out in piano, um, just to have those foundations of the correct fingering. Cause then later on, once you start doing your own thing and improvising, um, it's second nature of where your hands want to go. And whereas vice versa, if you just hop into it, which is great as well. But, um, if you don't have that foundation of fingering, um, you'll, you're more easy. It's easier to uh, get tripped up on trying to play something and then you're run out of fingers to do it yeah with the fingerings it helps you kind of um you know uh glide because you can sneak your thumb in and then it keeps things going so that's helpful for piano and saxophone i think long tones or any sort of brass or woodwind instrument mm -hmm. playing long tones really getting your tone because um, mm -hmm. i think that's the most important thing in terms of a wind instrument is your sound it's like your voice but yeah through the instrument so really practicing long tones and the technique of the instrument and scales but yeah tone tone is the most important tone and feel i think for wind instrument and then just the fundamentals of the piano which you know there's so much resources out there for that kind of stuff oh for sure i think that's one of the interesting things like when you're coming up approaching an instrument that sometimes differentiates people that are successful and aren't are those that are able to like distill like okay these are the fundamentals that i have to figure out like because there's an inf there's an infinite amount of options that you can go, especially when you're starting out. Like, what do I start with? What do I practice harder than others? And I think what you're getting to is that essential point. I feel that same thing with like guitar. Like one of the most crucial things, because I didn't know how to play guitar solos or whatever, that my teacher taught me was like how to do different articulations for the same note and like how to mm -hmm. match pitches with bends and like these little things that you don't really think about practicing, but once you start incorporating them into a real regimen, it unlocks improvisation it unlocks your ability to just flow oh totally and if you look at all the masters of any craft like picasso and dolly and philip glass and all these guys you know they studied the traditional technique of their craft and then they eventually branched out to do their own thing um and i mean it's it's obviously more fun to just oh, i just want to jam and hop into it i don't want to like sit down and practice but mm -hmm. i think it's so important, especially when you're starting out. And there's ways to make it fun. I know there's these guys called like the piano guys who um, have a more fun way of practicing piano. Or you can like make a game out of it, you know, try and practice scales, you know, with a metronome. And if you're able to do it, like, you know, um, I don't know, you have some sort of prize for yourself. Just trying to yeah. make it fun or or even, you know, um, working with a friend of yours. If you're thinking about starting piano or guitar mm -hmm. and your buddy's also thinking about like, Let's do it together, and then it becomes a camaraderie kind of thing. So it's not so isolating. Absolutely. And I, I like the idea, too, of, like, mixing. Uh, like, you can have the same technique that you're going for, like, running scales. But, like, you're going to play it at different subdivisions, different tempos, different um, feels, like, mm -hmm. different gaps between the notes. So it's not just, like, 16th note up and down doing the same thing over and over again. It's, like, play these things as you would musically. Totally. You can even buy a cheap drum machine and have yeah. that be your metronome, but then it's like a little fun jam session you're having. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I love that. And like, I, I like the whole thing, like 
some teachers had me do like improvisation where it's like, okay, we're going to run the scale a bunch. We're going to get that, but like we're going to jump into improvisation pretty quickly in terms of just like getting to know the scale musically and then go back to running it again, you know, yeah. kind of that, that give and take between making things musical and then making th- things fundamental and, and being fluid between the two. Totally. Yeah. Cause you want to enjoy it too, you know, it, right. it's not, you know, we don't have to play music. So like, why not have fun while we're doing it? <laughs> yeah. They call it playing for a reason. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, so your, your evolution on the guitar, um, I want to, I want to hear kind of like how you develop now from like the student to the professional, like the, that movement to where now you, you got all these different hats that you can wear. How, where did you end up jumping to after college? Like, what was your first gig? What were the things that kind of transitioned from that amateur, like, shedding to taking it out on the stage? Yeah, so when I I hadn't played guitar until I was 24, 25. Wow, so, really? That's awesome. Yeah. So Very cool. after I graduated college, um, I went to Miami, University of Miami, Florida. Uh, I was studying classical composition and uh, jazz saxophone. And then I moved to New York because I wanted to be a jazz saxophone is in what cool. better place yeah, to go than new york city that's totally like where the best jazz musicians are mm-hmm. so i moved there um and i started doing um some composing for a couple of video game companies cool awesome. um and some iphone games as well so i was doing that i was going to the jam sessions every night um you know i made electronic music so i was kind of working on that throughout the day and that was my uh routine for a while mm-hmm. um and then you know, the money started to dry up, so I needed to get a regular job. So I worked on fancy ice cream truck, a coffee shop, um, an after-school technology thing for kids, which is where I met uh, this drummer, Dylan, who we formed a band with. And so I had a show coming up, and I was like, Dylan, um, you want to play the show? He's like, yeah. I was like, great, because my drummer uh, dropped out. He's like, uh, and then I was like, because they had a guitar there, and I had just okay. been messing around with it a little bit uh-huh. and then so i was like let's just start a band and see where it goes so cool we just me and him and i barely played any guitar but it was the best experience for me to play with an amazing drummer because it just mm-hmm. forced me to get really good really quickly and you know i'm still learning because guitar is such a challenging instrument especially i mean you know from a technical standpoint compared to piano because the way i see music in my mind is on a piano even when i'm playing interesting saxophone. Interesting, um, but yeah that so then i started picking up the guitar and then played a lot of rock gigs and that's kind of how i got into more recording i'd always been recording forever like my parents mm-hmm. got me a little recording setup in high school um and i didn't know what i was doing but i just kind of learned and that was the best way and that kind of got me into composing my own music because i could record it and then it also got me into electronic music because i had since being a keyboard player mm-hmm. but then when i got the guitar I started to investigate rock music, which I had never figured out. And then I was like, oh, how do you make a guitar amp? Oh, Mm -hmm. like, how do we get good drum sounds? How do we Mm -hmm. mix it all together? And then my palette of, you know, in terms of recorded world of my music that I wanted to make, now I could have a whole new sound texture of distorted instruments. And yes, and it helped me figure out how to record acoustic instruments, because that got me more into just the recording world in general. so and then yeah, I was working that and then I started my own video business probably when I was 24, 25. Um and so that was kind of how I sustained myself. Um I would film music related events, people's shows, uh music videos, EPKs with interviews, all that kind of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So that was great because I learned a lot and I kept, I was able to buy better equipment, which made mm-hmm. my videos looked better, which I could charge more. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I was financially supporting myself. And at the same time, I was always had my own musical projects, playing in other people's bands, um, still doing stuff. You know, I did a couple of things for Showtime. I had a spot on uh, the Super Bowl, like a commercial there. So still doing some commercial music work, but the mm-hmm. video thing was kind of the bulk of my income. And then I moved to LA uh, January 1st, 2020. Right before the pandemic. So, and my intention (laughs) was, um, you know, I sold all my video equipment except for my really, really nice camera and a couple Mm -hmm. of lenses and lights. And I'm like, I'm going to keep this, but I'm not going to tell anyone I do video. I'm going to, you know, move to this new place. I only do music. I have, you know, some Miami network, like people I know from Miami that are kind of in the scene. Mm -hmm. And that was my plan. And then everything got shut down. So, you know, everyone's like figuring out what do we do? Um, And then, Luckily, I got a call from my buddy, Jesse McGinty, um, who went to Miami, and uh, he got originally got this call for the gig, the Claro gig that I, I'm doing now, and mm-hmm. he couldn't do because I think he has a daughter and he didn't want to travel or, mm-hmm. you know, he just was too busy because he's doing a million things and he's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So they called me, asked me if I wanted to do the gig. Uh, they heard my stuff. They liked what I could do, you know. Um, they they Originally, I think I was supposed to play... Uh, saxophone and clarinet and then you know i told him i do all these other things and i was really excited that you know the possibility like oh i could play guitar here piano here and then right when me and the musical director started talking you know it just became clear that i was like probably gonna i mean everyone's kind of doubling in some way but especially me i had this arsenal and they're like well why don't you play this like i'm playing Mm -hmm. a lot of acoustic on the set which i didn't even you know I play acoustic, but that's kind of really got my acoustic shops together. Um, So, yeah, that was kind of my journey. And I feel like my 20s were kind of exploring those new instruments like guitar, bass Mm -hmm. and and sounds, pedals and recording and especially in a live environment. And then my 30s, I kind of had all those tools. And now it's more like um, my instrument is my collection of instruments. In yes. I, so people totally see sense. me, they're like, right there with you. you know, if you think of Jacob Collier, you don't think yep. he's a singer. You think of like, right. he does everything. I exactly. can't do everything he does, but uh-huh. you know, I have a yeah. lot of okay. tools and skills at my disposal. So like, I want to be able to, to, you know, use those to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my own music too. Totally. That's awesome. I mean, that's great, great story and synopsis. We'll dig into a few more of those things a little bit deeper, but uh, I want to, I want to stop pause on the concept of doubling. Um, so just in case a listener doesn't know about that, like that is a pretty common thing now in the live world where you're not just going to be the guitarist on stage. You might play a little keyboard part or you might do something like that. Somebody like you who has a deeper, richer bag, you can double on everything from clarinet to acoustic guitar. And that's um, a really powerful thing in terms of having a calling card and having a value proposition that you're offering to that band that you're going to go on the road with. Yeah. And you you need to, I mean, especially yeah. with, with budgets for music in general, yeah, um, being lower, they need, you know, you, if you're able to offer, um, you know, you kind of have to be able to play multiple instruments, even if mm-hmm. you're a guitar player, bass player, drummer, having some keyboard knowledge so you could play synth bass or yes. a pad, right. it's kind of essential. And then also having the ability to um, run an Ableton session and playback is exactly. huge because right. you might be asked to do that so i think it's kind of um required that you're able to 
play multiple instruments and have multiple skills. And the more you have at your disposal, the more um, people would want to hire you because um, they get more bang for their buck. Exactly. And like, think about it from their perspective too. One of the most expensive things that we just do in our normal lives is travel mm -hmm. and just booking another hotel room, you know, another seat on an airplane for a fly date, all that kind of stuff. That oh yeah. So every, every person adds up for sure. Yeah. I, I just saw uh, Kimbra at the music box here in San Diego and yeah, trio um, drummer who was also playing some synth bass and triggering stuff on SPD um, for like different percussion things. And also like some um, horn samples and things that was mm. on the SPD. And then also somebody that just had like a bunch of keyboards running the Ableton session. And that was, that was the band. Yeah. 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 I know the keyboard player, Jacob, he's, oh, he actually makes one of our, our, yeah. um, which he makes one of our albums, which just shows he's also like an insanely talented audio recording engineer and mixing engineer, but he's playing with Kimber and he's doing live sounds and he knows like the playbacks and all the Ableton and the keyboards. And so there's just another perfect example of these guys who just have so many tools and you know, that's why they're getting hired. hundred percent. And it sounded awesome. And like, surprise, surprise, because you have people that aren't just, you know, like I just have my lane. It's like, no, I'm I'm aware of the music itself, the audio, the whole complexity and contributing to that in some way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's really sick. I want to talk about uh, licensing a little bit more. Um, you mentioned the Super Bowl stuff. You mentioned doing staff composing for video games. How do you approach um, creative briefs? Um, so I guess actually maybe walk, walk listeners through kind of like, how how the um, creative wreath hits you, kind of what they're normally like, and then how you um, translate that into actually recorded music. Totally. So um, usually if you're getting into uh, sync music, which is music for TV or film, um, you'll have, you know, you'll meet people and then eventually you'll link up with someone or a company that gets these briefs. So the company will, you know, we're doing a Doritos commercial or we're doing, um, you know, an AT&T thing, and this is what they want. So the brief will usually give a reference track or a couple reference artists or reference songs. So they want it to kind of sound in that world. And then they'll give a bunch of, um, you know, uh, loose descriptive terms, dark, yeah. moody, uh, you know, happy, um, feel good, which could literally be anything. So, you know, I think makes that mixed with uh, listening to what their references can kind of give you a good idea. So you, you just kind of take a question oh, jumping oh, in yeah. there. When, what do you do? I, I'm just always curious about this. When the reference and the like texts don't match up at all, like where they're yeah. like, we want lo-fi bedroom pop, but then they give you like Rosalia and you're like, uh, how do you, what do you approach? I mean, there's no way of knowing what they want. I think <laughs> you're safer to, veer closer to the reference track because that's probably what they have in in the like temp file that's a good point yeah. so yeah they, they usually cut these things to a reference track sometimes if they have sometimes yeah. yeah so i would say veer on that but then you know let's say um the reference track was like a hall notes song but mm -hmm. they said dark and moody which is not hall notes <laughs> yes <laughs> so you would listen to i would if i was doing it i would listen to hall notes song and like listen to what um elements make it sound like a hollow note so it has you know the cheesy drum machine in there it's got like um a really clean spanky di'd guitar um 
It's got like real bass or synth bass, maybe one seventies synth, like a prophet. Um, and maybe a CP 70 piano or like a cheesy eighties piano. And that's kind of the elements. Okay. So those are the elements. Now, how do I make it dark and moody? Well, just I'll like get my Moog synthesizer and make it a little dark patch and mess around with that. Or I could even take the same orchestration that's in the song mm-hmm. and just make it minor. Mm-hmm. That can also change it. Um, I'll just mess around with it, you know, just kind of adding elements, staying in that world, um, playing around with it. But yeah, there's no way of knowing. Like, you think you might do something that's amazing. And they listen back and they're like, this is not what we want. We don't like it. Or you think you do something that is terrible and you miss the mark and then they absolutely love it. And then that's it. So there's kind of no way of knowing you just, I think the more you do it, the better you get at just following your gut and you'll see what works and you'll see what tends to stick. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just like actors auditioning for a role or voice actors auditioning, you know, they could be super talented, but it's just not what they're looking for. They think it, you think it's what they want, but then they have a different idea. So yeah, that's really There's good. no perfect science to it. Really good perspective. Really, yeah. really good perspective. For things like that are so high scale, like a Super Bowl commercial, did you have to go through a bunch of revisions? Was there like a long process or was it just kind of like you shot your shot and that one went in? I think normally, yes. Um, especially the huge major budget ones. The mm-hmm. one I did was for uh, pet food commercial that was actually pretty like not that um it wasn't like a multi-million dollar commercial i mean i don't know how much they spent but it's just something you might watch on tv in passing of pet Mm -hmm. food and -hmm. the music was simple it was you know like a string quartet kind of thing and yeah it was pretty stripped down so i i worked with this guy who kind of got me the gig and um i sent him the stems and then he extended it re added one or two small elements and then that was it so um but i think if it was like a very big epic commercial Mm -hmm. um there would definitely be a lot of cooks in the kitchen in terms of you submit it and then it would probably be a talk of you know 10 to 15 or however many people and they're all inputting their ideas and then they come back with a list of so many notes just to try and dial it in so i'm sure on in that case it would be a lot of cooks in the kitchen have you ever had to do one with uh with lyrics like a sync with lyrics where this agency provides you like oh um i haven't done anything where the agency provides it i've definitely done a couple spots where uh especially nowadays there's more and more where they want something with vocals and lyrics but Mm -hmm. you come up with the lyrics at least that's my experience you come up with the lyrics and then you send them an acapella instrumental and um, full thing. Cool. I've I've had a couple that have been I, I haven't landed them because they've been really hard and super cringe. Where mm-hmm. the agency says like I want you to sing this and then oh no I have to sing it I'm like oh it's so bad like nothing really rhymes and it's all like yeah yeah oh cool. man and then it's a reflection of you because <laughs> yeah hundred percent your thing and but you don't want to you got the thing and then it gets in but you don't want to show people because it's like it's like <laughs> just say oh I did this thing can I hear it? I don't think it's up yet, you know, yeah, it's, maybe uh, soon. It's only in Thailand, uh, you know. <laughs> it's in China. They don't have the same laws we have. <laughs> so I want to talk about hitting the road with somebody like Claro and kind of 
what what is that like uh tour manager is there are there additional like kind of groups like what kind of scale of of because i know that she's a she's a big artist but like what kind of scale of tour and logistics and stuff are you dealing with um so we're probably playing or last year we were playing venues between two and six thousand people um that's so you know we have we, there's definitely a crew there's a tour manager front of house yeah. a monitor mix person um mm-hmm. there's guitar tech a playback tech nice um there's lighting people mm-hmm. uh merch um i think that's it so are you guys touring with uh with buses multiple buses or it depends for the fly dates we'll do um hotels mm-hmm. and then for the states uh we'll do buses and then um yeah nice awesome any uh any tips for somebody that's like never been on a tour bus uh etiquette um fun adventures things like that to let people in going graduating from van tour up to bus life yeah i think uh there's no way to really prepare for it you just throw yourself in the fire um don't go into it with any expectations because i'm sure every tour is different um because it's just like living in a house with you know people there's you never know who who's going to be in the house um luckily the store is amazing and we all get along so well and it's like a family so that's a great situation but i'm sure there are tours where you know it's not that situation and then you have to spend all your time in the confined space but yeah i don't think you can really plan for it you just um you just go into it with an open mind and and be easygoing and you know just just like any social situation don't be a jerk and just be nice <laughs> yep. totally it's amazing how important that is and how often overlooked that is uh, oh yeah i mean you play the show which is only 10 percent of the, the time you're spent on the road so that's yeah that's a great point. Have you had any um anything that came up on the road that was like unexpected like uh, a pad on your saxophone stopped working or like uh artist wants to throw in some new tunes that you've never rehearsed or any anything kind of like that uh conflict management uh overcoming doesn't have to just be, be this tour just just kind of like in general. I always think that those kind of stories are informative for people. Yeah, totally. I mean, you always should have a backup and and the guys in Nashville, they have usually like a backup for the backup because, uh-huh. you know, and then let's say you have a backup system. The one time you go to do something without the backup is probably the time that it's going to uh, fail yeah. and it right, like, right. doesn't fail any other time. Uh-huh. But I think having having backup situations is always good because you never know what's going to happen. Um, what happened on mine? I mean, like my get my acoustic kept it's just the pickup on it kept stop stopped working. Throughout uh, this tour and i think because the stand it mm-hmm. would fit it's got the jack in the bottom and it would just get crunched every day because okay you're yeah. trying to fit it in there mm-hmm. and then um it would just get all crackly and that was not a good vibe for uh we have this one song where i'm playing it's really quiet and moody and i've got this sound that really kind of cuts through and i'm playing mm-hmm. some picky stuff and then when now it's like cutting out it's so loud it's like yeah with the effects in there so that was not ideal, but it's not the end of the world because I can no. just, you know, I could literally hop to piano and, and play. I think in one song, um, someone's instrument went out. So then I played the part on piano 
Oh, cool. But then the next night, um, they're like, oh, can you actually play it on acoustic? Which I hadn't done before, but, you know, I just picked it up and then nice. played it. So nice. Yeah, no major catastrophes. I'm, I'm sure. Did anyone else have? Like, there was maybe some technical things with the keyboard one show, mm-hmm. um, which happens, I'm sure, to everyone. For so, sure. yeah, just, just knowing your setup and if things go haywire, like, either having a backup or knowing it well enough that um, you know how to kind of get back to where you are and also to not get stressed because right. Like you can definitely get freaked out in that situation. There's so much pressure, but it's not going to change the situation. It's just going to change how you're feeling. But obviously, you know, if something goes haywire and it's not your fault, like people are going to look to you Mm -hmm. because it's coming from your area. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's stressful but i think the more you do it the more experience you get and then you know shit's gonna happen so you just are able to like you know don't take it personally if everyone's like you this not happened to me but just in general Mm -hmm. yeah if everyone something happens and you know it's not your fault but everyone's looking like giving you shit and whatever you know it's like okay i know it's not my fault so it's all good it's like gonna be fine we'll go to the next show but you know i'm sure there's times where something gets fucked up and it's not your fault, but you get fired and lose the gig because of it. So I'm sure that happens too. For sure. But I, I feel like that's one of the one of the things that people discount about pro musicians is that they think they don't make mistakes, but really what they're good at is like hiding them or recovering from them. Totally. You know, it's like some of the some of my favorite drummers and stuff, they'll like put a, a beat somewhere weird, but then turn that into part of the phrase when mm-hmm. in reality they just kind of screwed up and it's like that's bringing that same mentality like you broke a guitar string it's like do you know how to play the part well enough without that string it's like right. if you're a pro you do you can you know how to like loosen up figure that out and just avoid that, <laughs> that string yeah. you know play it on a different one that's why yeah and no no one's gonna know in the band usually or in the audience especially if mm-hmm. like they're gonna know something's wrong because if you're you know yeah. freaking I, out and and yes. and trying to scramble it's going to visually look like something's really wrong but mm-hmm. if something's really wrong and you just casually just put the guitar down and you just hang out and then right. you just wait for the next song then literally no one's going to know anything went wrong and it's going to be like not that big of a deal and then yeah you don't even have to worry about it and i love i love your perspective too about just like know the songs well enough so if you have to hop on to keys or if you have to hop onto another instrument and comp like just know those changes so you can you can pull that off. Yeah. You know, that's definitely an advantage for me. I mean, if I was yeah. the bass player, the drummer and something went wrong, then <laughs> yeah, right. you know, it's like your amp <laughs> dies. Like, uh-huh. I don't know. There's nothing I can do. It's uh-huh. mm. Making mistakes on bass is such a bad feeling. Yeah. Just the, the, the whole foundation of the house just collapses and you're just like, totally. oh, God. there's a lot of, pr- there's a lot of pressure in that seat. <laughs> yeah. It's a funny seat too, because a lot of people don't really notice it too much. Um, mm-hmm. Until they make a mistake totally. <laughs> like yeah. on Sung Heroes on the bass guitar. Totally. For sure. I want to ask you about uh, improvisation and how being a multi-instrumentalist affects kind of your view of improvisation. Like, do you do you think that um, having saxophone articulation and understanding articulation from the perspective of like mouth and tonguing and stuff has affected the way that you view like 
articulating on piano or on guitar and vice versa like do you do, do these cross streams or do they kind of maintain like silos in your head a little bit more in terms of like i approach this instrument this way i approach that instrument that way when i'm really speaking and, and improvising on it i think i don't think i approach the piano or saxophone like their own thing because they're mm -hmm. so ingrained in second nature well cool. they're just kind of a part of me and i don't have to think about um articulation or how i would mm -hmm the melodies in my head and they just kind of come through mm -hmm. my mouth or my fingers and it's there it's mm -hmm. different on guitar because i'm more restricted of my technical facility of the instrument mm -hmm. um so in that regards i kind of approach it more like a guitar player but trying to make it sing like a vocalist would um yeah. but i i wouldn't i think if i had the technical facility like i do on the other instruments for guitar i'd be able to have that same mentality but guitar is more its own lane mm -hmm. um i think bass is kind of in between uh yeah cool that's that's good good answer i'm i'm always curious um something else i would love to talk to you about um i saw a sweet video that uh, claro posted about the omnicord oh yes <laughs> i would like to let the listeners in on the omnicord and the beauty of this uh bizarre instrument you have one oh sick I, I, let me grab my omnicord all right we're we're stalling <laughs> you guys are in for a treat this this omnicord is one of the most bizarre and charming electronic instruments around there i heard they're gonna reissue it Ooh, nice 30th 50th anniversary of the Omnicord. Okay, well, first you gotta have your um your Omnicord uh, uh case that it came with. Sweet. The original case. Yep, original case. Suzuki Omnicord. So this is what it looks like. I put these colors so I could see in the dark what what. Oh, cool! That's a good idea. To play right because you know no it's black in a dark stage, so I know I stick and there's all there's three rows of buttons, so it gets kind of confusing and they're all dark like how could you ever see that on a dark stage it's like gray gray and actually black on black so um all right let's see what we got like so it's got a built-in in uh oh, it's been it's been being weird but let's see if we get something oh there we go okay now how do we turn it off uh you hit the off button but yeah so we had the harmony chord so <laughs> it started because um i was playing auto harp for okay. this one song of hers um and uh it sounded amazing but i is my mom's auto harp from mm -hmm. uh back in the day and she would teach this like mommy me kind of thing and she'd be the wheels on the bus go around so i didn't want that to get lost or fucked up yeah. or anything on yeah. tour so i'm like i i can't bring this out anymore so i was like all right what's gonna do the same thing and you know omnicore was the obviously next best option so then i was playing the omnicore on stage and then um you know uh we got her this omnicore for her birthday but we made this instructional video to kind of go along with it. So that's kind of how it came to be. And now I'm ready to be the Omnicord, uh, you know, the face yes. of the Omnicord. Yes. So 
So Suzuki, if you're listening, let's let's make it happen. Omnicord um, influencer wanted. They're great though. They literally work on everything. You know, any style of music, I think it can work on. That's it's so cool. just it's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, I wanna I wanna turn turn back over to you for kind of like one one last question. Is there anything in music like it could be niche, it could be music theory, harmony, whatever, or even just perspective? Is there anything that you feel like really passionate about that isn't talked about enough? Like in terms of just like being in the creative space, accomplishing something musically, is there any like certain like pet emotion or or feeling that you want to see expressed more um, or, or technique that you want to see explored more in, in pop music or by musicians in general? Um, I mean, I'm always want to hear weird shit that's yeah. always exciting to me, which I feel like is getting more and more in pop music. Totally. Um, I think people who are making music, uh, the way things are recorded and the production of them, mm-hmm. of an idea, mm-hmm. is goes hand in hand. And I think, okay, um, you know, it's great to write songs and to kind of make music. But if you have a certain, which I think once you start producing your own stuff, you you learn this naturally. Um, but having that ability to, you know, if you play a piano part, it's not just like playing a piano parts. Okay. What piano am I going to do? How am I going to record it? What, how can I get it to sound the way I want it to sound? Mm-hmm. I think all those things play into each other. Um, I like that. Those yeah. cascading decisions and like having that specificity, having that nuance. Totally. Every and, stage. Yeah. And it's good. You know, we're all making our own music. So I think, you know, it's it's good just to throw yourself in the fire and 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 like, you know, get as many skills as you can because, you know, we don't have not everyone has the luxury to, you know, hire all these people for every specific thing. So that's kind of how I gained all of my skills. It's like, okay, I want to record, but I can't afford a studio, so I'll have to learn to do it myself. Or like, yeah, I want a great looking video, but I can't hire, you know, a really expensive video company, so. I'm going to do it myself. I'm like, now I need to record guitar and bass on this song, but I don't want to hire, or I can't afford to hire someone. So I'm going to do it myself. So I think out of necessity, that's how it's happened for me. But there's so many great tools that people can go online to learn everything. I think getting as many tools at your disposal is great. And it's kind of essential in today's day and age. That's a really great perspective. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Getting that bag, deepening that bag, figuring out what you need in that moment. And and not and I, I like I like the way that you did it too because it's very similar to how I did it where um, you approach what is your need right now and you add in that that skill set and knowing like at a later date there will be other skills that you gotta have to add but you're not trying to eat the whole elephant at once mm-hmm. but very like methodically based on like the priority of the stuff you got to get done right now totally yeah to yeah that's awesome well thank you so much for hanging out with me Steve I really appreciate yeah thanks for having me this has been so much fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, where where can people find you? What what do you recommend? What should they check out to uh, learn more about Steve Brickman? Yeah, you just go to stevebrickman.com, uh, B-R-I-C-K-M-A-N. It's got all stuff. It's got my socials and, you know, Instagram is the Steve Brickman. But yeah, that's where you go. And great uh, for up and comers, great examples of uh, audition tapes on there. You, you Your website is uh, obviously you've got the video production shops too, but I, I see why you're able to get gigs with that website. It's really, yep. really. I, I did the website myself too. So 
you know, Squarespace is a powerful tool and, you know, couldn't hire a website developer. So just learn to do it myself. Love it. That's the, that's the moral of today, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Music for Change from 101. I am Scubert Dubert. You can find my stuff at scubertdubert.pizza. Scubertdubert.pizza. That's where you can find my music and my stuff. And thanks again to Steve. And look forward to uh, talking again someday and maybe making some music together someday. Yeah. Awesome. See you.